0: Hey, beautiful people. And thank you for listening to the bang 23 podcast. If you find this funny, entertaining or insightful, feel free to leave us a review on Apple podcast. Or if you want to make my day, go show us some love on our Instagram page because I love each and every single one of you. Thank you for listening. I'm joined here by my newest buddy, uh, Richard. Richard is a former Navy SEAL and he's currently a life coach. Richard, thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be on with you.
0: Yeah, so probably the coolest thing about you is you are a former Navy SEAL. And just a quick story, growing up as a teenage boy, I think everybody's seen this documentary on Discovery Channel, right? Yep. Discovery Channel goes over, they document Hell Week and the Navy SEALs. And I remember watching this as a teenage kid, and I I watched every commercial. I hate commercials. I watched every commercial. I watched everything. I was glued to my TV. I had no clue that there was a set of people that went through this type of literal hell. People are falling asleep, standing up you're in the water, you're freezing, you're shaking, you don 't get food. um they try to drown you. It is the most insane thing i've ever seen, probably the one snippet that really stuck out of my mind. I forgot specifically what they did, but it was in a it was in a swimming pool. And there were divers at the bottom of the swimming pool. Um, and I guess these were the, uh, the trainers or the, the uh, coaches or whatever you want to call and it. They
1: instructors.
0: The, exactly, the instructors. And the SEALs or the people who wanted to be SEALs would jump in the pool with masks. And I forgot exactly what was the task, but essentially at the bottom of this pool, the instructors would go and rip their mask off. And then they had to do it again. Oh, put on my mask while, while I'm underwater. And all I could think while watching this was if there are people on this earth that can do that shit and they're fighting for me, I'm safe. I, that's honestly what I thought. It was the most insane thing I've ever seen. So what was it like going through Hell Week and BUDS?
1: Well, Hell Week on its... Hell Week is a a small portion of BUDS and basic water demolition SEAL training. And one of the things that is different than what you described is in the army they like to starve you. In the Navy they like to feed you. So when we're going through like Hell Week and Buds, we're definitely well fed. Most of our food a lot of our food had sand in it and stuff because you're eating on the beach or eating on the run. But you know, they definitely gave us plenty of time to eat and fuel up. And so we were we were definitely well fed. The food may be questionable at some times, sometimes MREs and but at that point you're just taking in energy, getting whatever you can. But, uh, Hell Week is, it's one of those, it's a real gut check, right? So it's, it's a, it's well documented. Like you said, in the Discovery Channel, those are the things like when you get into buds and now when I was going through, you know, you had these shows like Navy Seals with Charlie Sheen, you know, I was looking and it's like, (laughs) oh God, that's not what the teams look like. You know, guys, well, some of it guys waking up, passed out on the beach. Yeah. there's quite a bit of that, but. Uh, nothing like we have today, right? And so going through Hell Week, it, it's just like what it looks like in the in the videos, but it's hard to describe the intensity and the sheer misery and the sheer amount of fun that's involved <laughs> with it as well, right? So what I tell people all the time, because they ask about Hell Week is one of those things most people ask about, and what I tell them is, I wouldn't wish Hell Week on my worst enemy, but I wish every one of my friends and family had the gift of that experience. Because who you come out as on the other side is a transformed person and different individual. The person that went into Hell Week is a different person that came out of Hell Week for myself personally. Because what it took for me to go through that experience helped forge and transform me and forge my character. It reveals character. And what it did is allowed me to see how amazing we really are as human beings. This human machine that we have, this physical structure that we have, is capable of so much more than we give it credit for, or maybe more than we've been exposed to previously. Because at that point, I thought I'd been through some hard things growing up, and i have been cold and miserable and tired. And it's like, "Mm, no, I'd never been any of that compared to what I went through. But what I did go through, is like a Pandora's box. Like Once you go through that experience, you don't get to go back and go, oh, I can't do that. Oh, that's too hard for me. Then it's like, what else am I slacking off on? Because you know what you're capable of, so you can't pretend like you can't do something. Then it's a choice. It's like, oh, I'm choosing not to or I'm choosing to. But never do I have the, the excuse of going, oh, I can't. That's One, it's a bullshit excuse right? And two, it's the wake-up call for me going, yeah, I don't get to use that excuse anymore. And I choose not to use that excuse anymore. If I choose not to, then you choose not to. Don't ever say to yourself, I I can't. And so that's one of the best experiences I had going through there. Going through it, absolutely. It was miserable. It was intense. Uh, Like when you go through breakout, And that's the start of it. So I love the anticipate, like they've got it dialed in. We've been doing it for years. They know exactly the battle rhythm that needs to happen to get the product they want coming out the other side. And that's somebody that is fired up to be there. That first phase, first phase, here's the, in a nutshell, first phase, like a kick to the nuts, right? So it's like, who wants to be there? Who's ready to go? Second phase are, can you be safe in the water? Are you comfortable in the water? And that's where you see those videos of guys doing the second phase, uh, the water confidence course, where they go through and you've got tanks on and they've got you blindfolded and they're ripping the gear off of you. They simulate a surf hit, so they're ripping the gear off, putting whammy knots on you that you can't get out and you've got to stay comfortable in the water. And then third phase is, are you safe with a weapon? Right? Mm-hmm. Can, I, can I say, hey, this guy can shoot and move without killing everybody around him? right? Or blowing everybody up. It's small unit tactics. It's very basic in that regard. So those are three phases in a nutshell. And most people are starting to wash out through the first phase, right? That's because buds is a test. I'm fortunate enough to be a seal fit coach. And now we take civilians through 48 hours of a simulated hell week. But at that type of training, we're trying to take people right to that point where they want to quit. And then we coach them through to be able to move forward. In buds, it's like they make you want to quit and they encourage you to quit because they're mm. not there necessarily to train you to become mentally tough. It's like by that point, you either have it or you don't, right? Yeah. They're not there to train you become like you're either going to learn it as you go through and become something or you just go away, right? That's yeah. that's the the mindset, and it may have changed over the last few years. It sounds like they're incorporating more training, but believe me, by the time you get to buds you don't want to be going oh, okay now i'm going to learn how to be mentally tough it's like you better have that long before you get there right
0: yeah i want i want to come back to that seal fit thing too but just mm-hmm. to kind of zoom in real quick because i think myself and everybody else looks at the documentary or just what y'all go through and it's like how the fuck how what so whenever you are going through hell week or some extremely difficult training right you have the log you're full of sand, you're cold, you haven't slept in two days, whatever it is. And every single thing in your body is screaming, quit, quit. Every It hurts. This is the worst pain you've ever felt. What exactly is going through your mind and what is the motivation to not quit?
1: Yeah, so I definitely experienced that quite a bit. Uh, not just through Hell Week, but all of Bud's. I don't think a lot of people appreciate what a grind that Bud's can be because it just gets harder as you go. Like Hell Week was just one week of the training and it gets publicized quite a bit because of the extreme nature of it. But the whole thing is just, it's pretty amazing test. Um, but why Why not quit, right? So yeah, when those alarm bells are going off in your head and the instructors are like saying, hey, we're not stopping this evolution until I get two quitters. You guys mm. will keep going through this till somebody <laughs> quits. That's crazy. Two people quit and we'll give you guys, you guys won't get out of the water until somebody quits. Right. So you learn that it's just part of the process. It's part of the game. uh, And you just decide, like when I went in and this is some people would say it's kind of morbid. This, this is how I got through buds. Never once going, I'm going to quit. So here it is. Before I started, I was on the beach training with one of my buddies and I'm looking at the beach and I'm looking at the, the ship's out at sea, haze gray underways, what we used to say for the regular fleet. And I go, no, there's no way I'm ringing the bell and I'll be out on that ship. I would rather die on this beach than ever ring that bell. I'm prepared to die. I'm not prepared to ring that bell. And as soon as I made that decision, I would rather die than quit. Everything became very easy because the only question I asked myself is, am I still breathing? All right, let's keep going. Now, there were runs, like soft sand runs and stuff that we were doing. I'm like, okay, I think my heart might pop right now. This is this is pretty freaking brutal, right? And it's really intense. And I'm like, oh, my God, I've never felt my lungs burn like this before. Or my heart, like, it's jumping out of my chest. Um, I'm like, all right, might be a good day to die, but there's no way I'm ringing that bell. Or I'm so frozen, right? And I'm jackhammering. I'm like, okay, if I'm shaking, I'm good. It's when you stop shaking is when it gets bad, right? And then... I had to confront the brutal reality of the difficulty of the training in second phase. Uh, we're doing a 50 meter dive in the bell tower and they're teaching us how to breathe compressed gas so that we can get used to breathing, compressed gas and coming up at a rate that is safe for us. So we don't embolize right. Rip our lungs apart as we Mm -hmm. come up, if we come up too fast. And so everybody's got their eyes on us. We're going down 50 feet underwater, going to this bell, breathe compressed gas and go up nice and slowly, pretty much following the speed of our bubbles going up. And everybody was so focused on us that one of our instructors held his breath too long and had a shallow water blackout. Wow. And before we could save him, he had passed away, right? So it was like the brutal nature of it is we couldn't save him in time. So, you know, we, we tried to, to help him the best we could. Everybody was scrambling, trying to resuscitate him, but he ended up passing away. And it's like, it's a brutal environment, right? So the number of people, because we're always pushing that envelope of the human body, what you can do, you learn to build, override that natural uh, desire to want to breathe. You know, when you've been underwater quite a bit and you, you have that natural gag reflex where you're like, you start to feel like, okay, I got to come up you can learn to override that but it's difficult because you can it's also very dangerous as well so that's why you can have shallow water blackouts and that's what happened to him and then i had to ask myself okay this is a you know people do die this is a very difficult training environment and it was like okay well i'm still here i'm still breathing let's go Right. So it just it was one of those things, our whole class, like, yeah, that we're not fucking around like this is the real world and training matters and doing what we do matters. And so that that was one of those times in my life where I was like, yeah, all right, this is a very serious job and let's go.
0: Holy shit. So that's so incredible because I was expecting to be honest, I was expecting you to say oh, my dad was a seal, his grandfather was a seal, his gran- great-great-grandfather was a seal, and I just have to be a seal. Or, oh, my girlfriend was dying, and on her deathbed, she said, be a seal. But you, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, because it's like- Do you
0: want to, all
1: right, I'll, I'll tell you, if you want to know, because a lot of people think this is hilarious. So here I was, I'm in college, I grew up thinking, okay, I'm stupid, I can't spell, you're an idiot. You, thank God we have sports because if I didn't have sports, then I wouldn't be anything. <laughs> so I grew up in the LA Unified School District in Southern California, and I had to have a 2.0 or higher to play sports. So I was always riding that GPA of around 2.1, 2.2, just good enough to be able to play sports because when I was younger, I always had a hard, difficult time being able to spell. And I've been tested. My mom would just say, hey, you have a unique way of looking at things. I was like, what the hell does that mean? Shut up. Just go to school. All right, (laughs) let's go. And so I had this thought in my head, well, I must be stupid. Everybody else is smart. Everybody else can do this. I can't. And so I thought, well, at least I have sports. I was a very good athlete when I was growing up. And as I started getting older, what I realized is, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I'm not dumb. Maybe I just need to apply myself. Maybe I, like I've been carrying these things around and on the inside for all the answers to the test. And they're like, oh, these are books. Mm. Oh, if I look in the book, actually what everybody's talking about is in the book. So I just need to read the chapters and do the work. And so then I decided, wait a minute, maybe I'm not stupid. Maybe I just need to apply myself. And so that distinction and me learning about that was huge in my life. So it's like the way I was looking at things maybe wasn't accurate. And so when I started to apply myself and I realized, yeah, you do have a difficult time spelling to this day, thank God for spell check, right? (laughs) Or I'd be writing in crayons all day, but now I can get away with it. And when I chose to see myself as not being stupid, but I just have to apply myself and work a little bit harder than most people, I can do anything. And then I ended up going on to college after the teams. And soon as I chose to, and I decided that, hey, what if you're not stupid? What if you just need to apply yourself? And that changed everything for me. So my mental construct of myself changed right then. And so going into the teams, then my passion was sports. When I was 15, my aunt and uncle took me on vacation. And my aunt said, hey, do you play golf? And I said, no, I don't. That's for old people. (laughs) And she's like, well, we play golf. And so I grabbed my, my dad's clubs and went out there and... I remember the first time I played, I'm like, this is stupid. You know, I'm on the tee box. Nobody's trying to tackle me. At the time, I was playing a lot of football, love football. And uh, nobody's trying to block the net, you know, the cup or anything. You know, nobody's yelling at me or hitting me. And as soon as I played, I was hooked. I'm like, you've got to be kidding. It can't be that hard. And so I love the power, the finesse, some of the most beautiful environments in the world are on golf courses. And as soon as I played, I'm like, all right, I'm going on tour. Like, this is what I want to do. Nice. Like, cause everybody else, when I was playing football, what I lack in size, I did not make up for in speed. Right. So I'm <laughs> like, okay. Everybody kept getting bigger and I'm like, oh, in golf, it doesn't matter what my size is. And so I just decided I wanted to play at a professional. I love competition. I love getting on the first tee and my, like the, the butterflies in my stomach are just going and I'm just like, I might puke right now, but this is awesome. And I love that part of it. And then when I was going through school, I played in a tournament. This guy was studying golf management. And I'm like, golf, what is that? He's like, oh, you go to school and you play golf and then you get to teach people to play golf. I'm like, are you serious? That's really a job. That, you know, something you could do in college? Are you serious? Like, okay, that's what I'm doing. So I was 17, moved out of the house, went to Palm Springs, was going through that. And I remember wanting to be competitive and I was. 17, 18 at this time. No, at this time I was 19, almost 20. And I'm walking through and I'm like, how do I beat this kid that's a year behind me in Southern California? His name's Tiger Woods. Oh, man. <laughs> he's, he's, he's won everything, right? Holy i want to kick his ass, right? And it's like, Tiger is like, I'm like, I'm nobody, right? And he's won everything. I'm like, I'm going to kick his ass. Like, how do I beat this guy? And his dad was a former Green Beret. And his dad used to mess with him all the time growing up. Like when they go to uh, practice, he jiggled change in his pockets. He used to cough in his backswing. He's like, dad, why do you keep doing that? And he's like, I'm going to make you more mentally tough than anybody you play against. Wow. I'm like, damn, that's awesome. Right? Yeah. And I'm like, I don't have a military family and my dad wasn't a Green Beret, but how do I how do I do beat that? And so I was at the library at school and I'm walking by and there's a magazine article Uh, on the front there's this guy he's wet he's sandy he's screaming he's got a log in his hands and it said something like are these the mentally are these the toughest guys in the world i'm like all right i'll bite so i started looking through this magazine and it's these guys going through buds i'm like oh that's pretty cool and it's talking about like they're jumping out of planes they're hunting terrorists you know they're going to all these different environments i'm like wow that sounds really cool you know i want to get some of that and he's like, and it, towards the end of the article, it's like, they're the most mentally disciplined warriors. And I'm like, huh, wait a minute. I got it. I'm going to go be a Navy SEAL. And then when I'm old, like 30, I'll get out of the teams and go kick Tiger's ass. <laughs> right? That's awesome. And as soon as I, yeah, as soon as I said that, I'm like, all right, you're an idiot. Uh, <laughs> that's crazy. But I'm like, why not? Like, what stops me? What, why wouldn't you try? Because I was fantasizing, like, man, be in the team, serve my country, jump out of planes, hunt the terrorists. And then when I'm done, then I'll play professional golf because you can play it to your 80 or whatever. And I'm like, that was just so outrageous in my brain. But at the next second, my brain's like, what stops you? Why not? Like, who gives a shit? Just go for it. And so right there, I'm just like, yeah, that's what I'll do. Because I was fortunate. I had no other commitments. I just had to take care of myself. Right. Mm. So I, I wasn't married, didn't have any kids. So it was, I had the ability just to go, why not? Like when I'm 30 and I'm looking back, I'm going to go, Oh, could you imagine if I tried that? I never thought of like, Oh, what if you quit? And I'm just like, let's go. Like, let's go. Let's have some fun with this. Let's go. And so I went to the recruiter and I told him and and I'm like, how many seals have you had come through here? He's like, ah, Uh, none. I'm like, ah, well, I'll be the first. All right. No problem. Right. And then I remember that night, it's like midnight or something. I'm so fired up and I'm, I'm on this path and I go to Walmart and I I buy this VHS tape and it was Navy SEALs and it was like Charlie Sheen. I'm watching that and I'm getting everything that I can as far as, um, information on Navy SEALs, and I just couldn't get that seed out of my head. It's like, it, it called me. It's something I had to do. It's like some people get called to do, like, climb Everest or start a company or whatever it is. Once that seed was planted, I'm like, this is my path. Like, it chose me, mm. just like golf chose me. Like, when I, when I played golf, I, if you would ask me, you know, a week before I ever played, you know, you'd be trying to get on the PGA Tour someday, I'm like, golf what? What, PGA what? But it just called me and just some, I've been very fortunate. There's been a few things in my life that just called me and I just said, let's go. So for me, the big impetus to go in the teams was to become more mentally disciplined and do something I would never be able to do as a civilian. and to have an outrageous life, right? So I just go, damn, like, why not? And so that's when I went in. I was very fortunate. I was part of Bud's class. Two ten went all the way through. It was one of the originals all the way through. We had like one hundred and fifty six guys start, but a lot of people don't appreciate how difficult it is to get to buds. Like there's probably for one hundred and fifty six that line up on that grinder, there's probably three or four hundred people trying to get to that spot, and those are the guys that qualified to be on the grinder and to kick off the first day of buds. And then we end up graduating. I think it was like twenty six originals, and then. Guys will roll in from other classes, right? Because there's a lot of injuries, a lot of um, sickness, you know, so they'll get rolled back a class or two so they can heal up and class back up. And so we end up with like 40 guys, 41 guys end up graduating with us. And then you go in to the SEAL team and then you're a new guy. You're nothing after that anyway. So, right. So you think you're some, you know, badass. I just finished Buds and you get there and it's like, everybody looks at you like nobody cares. You're nobody. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, yeah. Yo, you're the new guy.
0: Man, so, yeah. so I'll tell you what, Tiger, if you're watching this, you have served your country because Richard joined the SEALs to kick your ass, and <laughs> Richard became a Navy SEAL to kick your ass, and Richard sir, served- On the golf cart. On the golf cart, yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a good preference, actually, because uh, I'm sure if Tiger heard that, he may want to sue somebody. Um, So that is the most insane story I have heard in months.
1: Yeah, he he inspired me. I mean, the the ability and uh, he's still phenomenal, right? He's still like what he's been able to create and what he did for the game. But even at that age, he was just so dominant. And it's like, how do you beat somebody like that? And so he inspired me it's like oh that's how I'm going to get in front of him right So you and so, you thought that
0: was his secret was, was his the mental toughness because I'm I'm guessing they don't talk about this in like golf lessons
1: I there's a lot of things but absolutely for the competitive aspect of him the way he was able to win all those majors I think he would say and I don't want to put words in his mouth but his ability to be more mentally dis- his ability to be calm under pressure and to have the certainty under pressure definitely separated him from anybody else
0: that's insane
1: and you watch him in tournaments you can watch how he breathes and his focus and just his state of being is much different than most tour players most most of the best players in the world he's definitely a a different level than even the best players in the world
0: yeah man he he is the best i mean i know he's he's had some injuries or whatever but
1: yeah yeah in his prime, it's like Mike Tyson in his prime, yeah. right? Those guys are just scary. Yeah,
0: yeah, he's, he's a man. Um, I just want to ask you just a kind of a one-off question that really confuses me, and I think a lot of people that I talk to, a lot of buddies I have, I hear a lot of SEALs and just folks who serve in the military in general say this, the best time of my life was whenever I was deployed in combat, was whenever they were in the most danger. Um, the most famous person who said this is Jocko Willink, who everybody knows as being a very famous Navy SEAL. I think his quote was um, whenever he was deployed in Afghanistan or Iraq, um, he said, I was having the best time of my life and I knew it was the best time of my life while I was deployed. To people like me, this sounds insane. You're getting shot at every day. How? Why do people like you, SEALs, uh, military men, and women think this?
1: So. It's a good question, and I believe that, really, it makes you feel so alive. The consequences to doing something wrong, it's not like, oh, yeah, you just did something, like, people get hurt. What you do matters, how you behave matters, and there's other people out there trying to harm you and your team. So it, it brings every ounce of your being and it makes it so alive. Like everything you're doing, it's kind of like doing a going to work wonder or knowing that you're going to come in contact with people trying to kill you. Wow, Your day is going to be a lot different than it's like, Oh yeah, we're trying to hit the financials and you know, the quarterly reports and yeah. you know, Bob over here is gunning for my job. And I think he's trying to sabotage me. And it's like, okay. That's a lot different than going, okay, guys, here we go. We have these insurgents. They're trying to kill people. Our job is go and kill them first. Like, it's it's so primal, and it it gets every ounce of your being right there because it becomes – It's have you ever been in, like, a, uh, a car accident or an earthquake or some type of major event, and everything seems to slow down and you remember it like it's yesterday? It's because – our brains are hardwired for those events to take that in. And it's kind of like combat or getting into a firefight or, you know, getting into a a major accident, like your brain just switches on. And there's something very uh, primal about that. And you're with a team of people, like how often do we get to be, a lot of people love being part of teams. I love being part of teams Mm. and you're part of a team up to doing something that matters. Yeah. And nothing brings people together faster than going through common suffering together. So like going through BUDS, going to the SEAL teams, like you're suffering all the time together, that brings people together. Like if you go out with your buddies and you're just partying all the time, that's not going to bond you like going through hard training, like football practice or, you know, some type of martial art or building a business. Like if you're going through that common suffering together for a common purpose, Man, if you want to bring teams together, I do a lot of that training as well. We try to have teams do something that's really challenging together. Talk about bonding together. You do that, and that's the secret sauce to bonding people.
0: Yeah, that it's
1: hard to bond when you're just doing shit that's just fun or you know, novel or you know, you're not really doing anything that's meaningful.
0: Yeah, I couldn't imagine that. That's, that's actually a great point. I've never heard someone make that point, which is kind of in in my head. Whenever we do our job, if my boss asks me, he says, "Hey, Chris, are you doing you doing your best?" I'd say, "Yeah," but I think my best—the definition of my best—becomes completely different if not doing my best means I get killed or I get one of my buddies killed. And I couldn't imagine what that feels like. I couldn't imagine the burden, the responsibility that. Hey, you know this training, um, or being deployed, or being out on patrol. Man, if I just slip up one second, you know I look at my phone or do something wrong, I'm dead. I could, or my buddy could be dead. I don't think, I I don't, I think very few people have gotten the opportunity to feel that alive or to try that hard at something when the consequences are literally life and death. It must be insane.
1: Imagine how you'd show up for work.
0: Oh man. Oh my goodness.
1: And imagine how you'd expect your team to show up for you,
0: man. So this is, this is another point too. Whenever we talk about discipline, Um, just to kind of segue, I think a lot of folks see a lot of issues in America, in the world. Um, A lot of people talk about obesity. Nobody would say that we don't have an obesity issue, Um, loneliness, uh, poverty, depression. These are all real issues. But I feel like the stem of it all. Is discipline. I just know for myself personally, I've gained and lost fifty pounds, just Mm -hmm. due to lack of discipline. One hundred percent, right? McDonald's didn't hold the gun to my head and tell me to eat it. I was was just undisciplined. Um, And hey, whenever you gain fifty pounds of fat, you're going to be more depressed. You're going to be shittier at your job, so you're you're going to make less money. You don't want to go out, so guess what? Now you're lonely. Now you're depressed. Why do you think that? discipline is such a rare commodity nowadays.
1: So it is that's a, it's a great question and what I my favorite thing to do is not give an answer but another question and the question would be why do you think there's less discipline today than there was in the past?
0: I I actually have an answer for that. I well here my antidote would be let's take a great person in the past. Let's say Alexander the Great, right? We—he was probably a disciplined person, great warrior. I think if you put him in today's world, he would struggle a little bit more because we have so many vices. Um, so I think it—I think it could be harder to be disciplined today. Um, but I don't know. Then again, we have a lot of cool shit too that helps us be disciplined. So I—I I really don't know the answer to be honest.
1: So we're all human beings, right? Alexander the Great. Yeah. <laughs> The people back then, today, you're right. We do have the opportunity for a lot more distraction today, but we're just human beings and we have human nature. And we are hardwired not to be disciplined. Discipline is a very human part Hmm. of us. So there's what we call the emotional triad. So my coach talks about this. And we, the human being, we want to seek pleasure, we want to conserve energy, and we want to avoid pain. That's what we're hardwired to do, right? We just want to keep our belly full, right? Push our genes to the next generation. We're good. Yeah. That's why it feels normal and it feels like, oh, okay, hey, the game's coming on. I just want to have a bag of chips, a beer, and just watch the game. Wait a minute. I'm supposed to be disciplined. Oh, and then we start beating ourselves up internally. And we have this this wrestling match with ourselves because we have this primitive brain, that mammalian brain, that's just struggling to survive. It wants to survive. It doesn't care if you want to self-actualize and lose 50 pounds. It's like, what? That's our prefrontal cortex. That's our, our newer part of our brain. It has the ability to dream and self-actualize and become the best version of ourselves, right? We talk about that. It has the ability to have discipline and discipline is simply overriding that natural tendency of our brain to want to sit on our ass, right? Eat bonbons or Cheetos and watch reruns on Netflix, right? Like that's human. If you feel like doing that, welcome to the club. That's being human. Choosing to do something different is also human. So it's a choice. Discipline is simply a choice and we choose it and we fail and we choose it again and we fail. Welcome to the club. That's being human. If you didn't have to override that, then it wouldn't be as fun right? If you didn't have to like David Goggins say callous the mind, he's always going back in because it never goes away, Mm. right? One of my mentors would talk about the fear wolf and the courage wolf, Mark Devine, former team guy, seal commander. And it's like a choice, which one wins, Right, it's this old Indian uh, story. And the one that wins that fear wolf is the one that is always telling you a a good example of this is think about when you're working out, right? Let's say you have a workout, it's five rounds for time, and you're starting to work out and you're into round two, and that voice in your head's like, Oh, maybe we just go for four rounds yeah. today. You know, you're a little tired from yesterday. You don't have to work so hard, you know, you don't want to push too. It's like da, 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 da. that voice is in all of us. The choice to override that voice and push through makes all the difference in the world. That is discipline. be able to have a bigger story than that voice in your head because we all have it that voice was in everybody's head like going through buds those guys were that instructors were world-class because they know what that voice sounds like hey man why are you doing this to yourself you don't have to do this why put yourself through all this misery you don't have to be cold why do that look your buddy just quit why don't you just follow him hey i'm gonna take everybody out to breakfast it quits the next half hour you don't have to do this to yourself why put yourself this is not natural You guys are doing things that are not natural to yourself. You guys just need to stop what you're doing. And why don't you just go into the regular fleet? You guys have to get up early every day. And why do this to yourself? It's like they're just echoing what's going on in our head. So if you hear that voice, and this is why I love coaching, because so many people think they are that voice. And it's like, no, you get to choose who you're going to be. You get to choose what voice you're going to listen to. So that voice is what distracts a lot of people. That voice is like, oh, I can't do it. I'm too young. Yeah, I'm too old. I'm too, whatever, pick your poison, right? Because it's that voice in our head that keeps talking to you, like, oh, I, I just know it because that voice tells me. It's like, who told you that voice is the thing that you listen to? And so for a lot of us, it's choosing something that's bigger than ourselves so we can start to take down that sound of that voice, that voice in our head. It never goes away. We just get better. We understand. We can have compassion for ourselves that, hey, this is part of the process. If I want to start a new business, if I want to go into the military, whatever it is, pick whatever. If I want to lose 50 pounds, you're going to have that. It's like you will get motivated and go, hey, I want to lose 50 pounds. I'm I'm done with this. I'm not having another pizza, you know, blah, blah, blah. And what is it? seven hours later, you're like, oh, well, tomorrow's a good time to start. You know, because now I can't start because I've got the game starting. (laughs) My buddies are coming over. They're going to want to have beers. They're going to want to have pizza. So tomorrow's better than today. It's that voice in our head and we can justify. We're smart. We're crafty. That brain, that part of our brain is smart and it knows exactly your pain points and it knows exactly your soft spots. So it will try to talk you out of, Hey, didn't you say just seven hours ago that you stopped eating pizza? Well, well, we can justify all day long, right? There's some point, most people get to one point where they just get so disgusted with themselves, they just say, no more. I'm not listening to that. That's bullshit, right? And they start doing something different. Or they get so inspired, right? You can do either way. They get so inspired that they start to see themselves as somebody different. And a lot of times that's in coaching or they may get inspired by a video or they may get inspired by a movie or somebody around them that's like, man, I've never seen somebody like that before. I've never seen somebody be able to do something like that. How do I do Hmm. that? And then they start to take different steps and they start to override that brain and that voice in them saying, you can't do that. And they start to get a little bit of confidence they start to get some momentum and they start to change themselves. So it can work either with disgust or inspiration. Usually it goes both ways, right? People hit rock bottom, they're alcoholics, Mm. and they just do something that absolutely disgusts them. They're like, never again am I taking another drink. And they just quit cold turkey right there. Other people, they, they need to be coached. They go to like AA meetings, or maybe they go into rehabilitation and they see a different way to live their life. Both work, right? And so it's really a choice. Discipline is a choice. Like Jocko would say, discipline equals freedom. Absolutely. Because when you start to decide what you want, then you know you have control. Because it's two things are controlling you. Either that primitive brain, and you're just going through whatever you think you feel like in the moment. That's just life. Oh, I don't feel like doing it. Oh, that would be fun. That, and you're just going by whatever that emotion is it only takes you so far. And if you keep going down that path, eventually you see it's like, ah, I did this to be happy or to feel good, but actually doing it is making me feel miserable. And food's a good example of that, or alcohol or TV or porn or whatever it is. It's like, that's probably not a path. And usually people become disciplined when they go down to that end of that path going, okay, I see that this doesn't get me anywhere. What's an alternative to this? And that's when they start to see that, wait a minute, maybe this discipline thing isn't so bad. Maybe me delaying gratification, maybe me having something meaningful and purposeful to work towards is more beneficial than going the other way. And that's the key, I think, for a lot of people. Like if you were saying, how do I become more disciplined? One, have something to be disciplined for. Like why why choose discipline over just instant gratification? Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a good reason for that, then why do something that's hard? So I personally find something meaningful and purposeful. So in those moments where I just want to go, fuck it all, I'm just going to you know, have a 12-pack and eat a pizza and screw my diet and all this running and regimen and discipline bullshit because life is short and you just got to have fun, right? It's like, what overrides that thought so I can go, wait a minute, stop. This is my path. And what I I tell people and what I coach people into is having something so meaningful and so purposeful that it overrides those dark moments because we all have them. We all go there. Everybody has them. And we repeatedly have them because that's being human. And if we didn't, that would probably take away the ability for us to really know what a disciplined life looks like.
0: And that's so interesting because one, I think it's everybody can... Breathe a sigh of relief knowing that you and Navy SEALs are not a robot, that you feel what we feel too. And two, what you're talking about overriding it is exactly what happened to me last night. I was like, man, you know, I really want some pizza last night. I was like, man, I, I want some freaking pizza. You know, I was like, I'm hungry, don't have anything in the house. But I was like, if I eat this pizza, I know that my podcast tomorrow. With uh, Richard is going to be shit, right? Because the next day after you eat that pizza, you wake up, you feel like complete garbage. My brain doesn't even function yeah. at all. You're like talking to me; it's in one ear, out the other. It's so weird. So I guess so. Let's let's kind of dive into yeah. me uh, as an Absolutely. example. So this podcast with you overrode a dark moment. It, it prevented me from going into the deep dive. So with podcast me doing podcasts be a good example of like a why or something to help me be disciplined for
1: you this podcast means something to you it's meaningful and purposeful for you more than the pizza in that moment right and the best part about it if you really want to get real it's all fucking story yeah right so allow yourself to go what story do i want to tell myself and the story matters right? The story matters. It's just as, it matters just as much to you as anybody else, but find a story, something meaningful, purposeful to you that goes, that's how I want to live my life. That matters. Cause if you don't, then you're just going to go with whatever you feel like in the moment. And usually it takes you down a path that you would otherwise not choose. So for you, it's like, Hey, I want this to be a good podcast. I, I, this matters to me. I want this to matter. I don't want to be all foggy. So that's more important than this pizza awesome right yeah. whatever it is that gets you where you want to go tell yourself a more meaningful and purposeful story and don't let anybody tell you what that story should be it's up to you
0: yeah you know you know what's so weird is that like you said at, in the beginning we all have kind of this human nature to be um, you know essentially fat and happy right to be safe um, well fed and, and happy if if we Left it up to human nature. We'd all be sitting with a six pack, watching the game, eating pizza and wings. But what's also weird is it's very human to wake up the next day and not be satisfied with yourself. Yeah, it's this weird loop, man. I don't. It's it's like you would think that the the human nature would reinforce itself. Like you would wake up the next day and say, "Oh, human Chris, I'm so glad you did that." But I feel like less of a man the next day. It's weird there's
1: part of us that wants to self-actualize. It's part of our brain, right? It's that prefrontal cortex that wants to grow and evolve and it wants to become more. It's that urge that pulls us. So we have this duality in our head. We have this one aspect of us that wants to sit there, watch the game on the couch, veg out, just enjoy the moment, man. Life is short, you know, let's have fun. And then there's (laughs) other part of us that wants to grow and evolve that wants to become the next generation of like what's possible for me. And so now you've got this tug of war going. So if you decide to sit there on the couch all day, you wake up the next day going, oh, I didn't get anywhere. I feel like shit. I feel terrible. Or you choose to turn the game off. You choose to go out and do physical training. Physical training is a great way to start to create discipline because the, the yeah. human body is designed for movement. And our brain and our body are so interconnected that when you start moving the body, the brain gets all the benefits as well. And now you start moving and working out in a way that actually is meaningful and purposeful to you. So when I ask people, and people ask me, like, how much should I work out? It's like, depends, what are your goals? What do you want? Who do you wanna be hmm. 30 years from now? That's how you should train, right? Because for me to say you should run 40 miles a week, it's like, why? Is that your goal? Is that going to be healthy for you? So really, it's one, everybody should do some type of movement practice, whether it's yoga, Tai Chi, CrossFit, uh, martial art, extreme races, whatever. It depends on who do you want to be. So that's why it's the core of it is what do you want? Who do you want to become? And something that's meaningful and purposeful to you. And then we start backing up going, okay, is this going, what we do today, is this going to move you towards that or not? Now you mm. can make decisions based on who you want to become because now you're telling yourself the story, like, here's my vision of my future self. So when I have a choice during the day, it's like, does that move me closer or further away from it? Because a lot of times we're making choices. We're like, eh, it doesn't really matter. Like, well, do I have pizza or do I have a salad? Eh, eh, eh. Right. It's that, it's like, yeah. eh, why not? Like, I feel, I feel like having the pizza. So why wouldn't you have the pizza? Unless you can go, wait a minute, my future version of myself, that man that I see in the mirror, that I see in my, my, my vision board or whatever it is you choose to create that has something of me and purpose for you, as soon as you can get that so dialed in, it's like, mm, that version of me just doesn't eat that anymore. And that's okay. And it's okay to want it, yeah. to have that urge. That's human. That's okay. But I choose not to. That's a huge distinction, right? We all have urges. We all want to go, oh, dude, I'm going to crush that bag of chips. Or I'm going to, you know, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. That's human. What you choose to do with that thought and that urge makes all the difference in the world, right? That it makes all the difference. And one of the tricks I can give to your audience that I think is really cool that makes a lot of difference is my coach taught me this, is that if we're going to choose to drink, then we have a drink plan. So what we're going to do is we're going to use our prefrontal cortex on how to choose to drink. Apply this to eating, apply this to watching TV, apply this to whatever it is. Wow. You're going to say 24 hours from now, if I choose to have a drink, I'm going to write it down now because I'm using my prefrontal cortex. I'm not using that urge in the moment, right? Because if I go, oh, I'm not going to drink tonight, and you go over to your buddy's house, they're like, hey, man, have a beer. And you're like, okay, I want to fit in. I'm going to have a beer. And then it's like, once you have one, you can't have just one, You've got to have two. And then it's like, oh, screw it. Life is short. I might as well have three and four. And then all of a sudden you wake up the next day going, oh my God, how many, I can't even remember how many I had, right? It's like, how did that happen? So when you can use this part of your brain where you're just going, I have a plan. This week, I'm going to choose to have three drinks. On Thursday night, I know I'm going to have a social engagement. I'm going to choose to have one drink then. And then on Saturday night, I'm going to a party and I'm going to have two drinks then. Perfect. Perfect. And you plan it out and you make that decision. It's not like you don't have, you can't drink, it's like plan in advance. And so that serves a lot of people. So in the moment, they're like, hey, I'm gonna have one drink, I'm gonna enjoy it. And that's enough. Because we Mm -hmm. have to override that urge in the moment. And if we don't, then we're just at the mercy of our urges. And those urges come and they go. So to be able to plan in ahead of time, that's very human. That's advanced human work, right? If we just go by what we yeah. urge, what we feel like in the moment, that's gonna set us sideways, right? Because our mammalian brains like, dude, I just wanna just crush it, right? Whatever that is.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. And you can also kind of create your own voice, kind of how you're saying that we all have this voice. Hey, be lazy, drink a lot, eat a lot. If you, if you plan it ahead, like you're saying, then you said, okay, you know, 24 hours ago you said, I'm having one drink tonight you have that drink at the party, and now you're going to have a second one. Well, now you have a voice in your head kind of that is like, oh, well, I said I was only going to have one, right? Instead of the other voice, which is like half 20, right? So that's a that's a really interesting trick that I, I don't think I've heard anybody talk about, this um, this plan ahead using the prefrontal cortex instead of just you know, going in butt naked and letting the, the monkey brain take over.
1: Yeah. And it's just being human and we get to not beat ourselves up for it. And we get to embrace the fact that, yeah, it we get better. It doesn't get easier. It's kind of like working yeah. out, working out never gets easier. We just get better. We can lift more <laughs> weight and we can do it faster, but it never gets easier. And if we embrace that going, Hey, that's cool. Like, That's being human. It's going to be challenging and hard, and I wouldn't have it any other way because I'm self-actualizing. I'm becoming a better human being instead of just riding whatever the urge is in the moment, right? That's like a two-year-old. Like two-year-olds, whatever's in the (laughs) moment, they're just like, ah, they'll scream, they'll kick, and then when they get what they want, then they'll shut up, right? And it's like we love them, but it's like let's be adults. And what does it mean to be an adult? What does it mean to be A human being that can override those urges. And if you can't, man, what a great way to be able to learn discipline, right? If we get emotional and we get fired up, if somebody calls us a name or somebody offends us and we can't control our emotions in the moment, what an awesome opportunity to train that, right? That becomes being an emotional adult where we get control, that emotional part of ourselves in a way that serves us. So we get to choose if we want to engage or not, if we choose to walk away. Right. So unless, and if you don't have control, then you have no choice. You're just going to be at the mercy of that emotion in the moment.
0: Yeah. And that's a, that's a sad place to be. I think one thing that I don't see a lot of, um, online or just in person is, content or messages suited to beginners. I think that whenever people are in a bad place, maybe they've been in a rut and you turn on, um, David Goggins and he's running 20 miles and saying, stay hard motherfucker. (laughs) Like this really, (laughs) this really does not resonate with a person who's just put on 10 pounds in the past month. They're depressed. They're just like, fuck, just shut up. I think that a lot of people, once you hit maybe David Goggins level or something, I think these people don't realize how freaking hard it is. Step one is the hardest, the hardest step by far. So in your coaching, how do you kind of overcome? How do you take someone out of a rut and just get them, just take that first super hard step?
1: Yeah. So first thing we do is we take a breath just smile it's like everything you've done up to this point is perfect right and it's like let's just start yeah. right now have compassion for yourself all those mistakes that you've made awesome that's life welcome to the club everybody else has two and we're just going to take one step today and tomorrow we'll take another step and then another step and then over time like if we can let go of trying to go from zero to a hundred in like three days. Cause that's what there's a lot of really great marketing out there. They know how to get to our brain. And it's like, well, yeah. rich tells me it's going to take a while and it takes discipline and it takes consistency over a long period of time. But this thing on the internet said, you know, I can have six minute abs, you know, Oh, and this other one says I could have five <laughs> minute abs. That sounds a lot better yeah. than actually having to do a workout. So I'm going to do that. <laughs> so we get, we get pulled, drawn in, to that primitive brain again. It's like, wh- why do anything that's hard when I can do something that's easy? And so, if we can see, oh, that's my brain, right? Coaching is simply creating awareness for ourselves. We take it from the back of our awareness, and a coach has the ability to bring it to the front so you can see your thinking because we're so in mm. it. And a great analogy is like, w- when we're inside the bottle, we can't read the label. And so, we think it's mm. just like the weather, like, oh, I'm just. I'm just fat and my family's fat. It's just genetics. I'll never be able to be skinny. Like it's just the weather. And it's like, okay, is that what you believe to be true? Is that a thought that serves you? Or do you think there may be something that we can start to shift in your thinking that would allow you to have different thoughts, to have different actions, to have different results? That's what great coaching will do. Because if you believe that, if you think that, A great coach is simply going to have you see your thinking so you can take different actions and create different results. And then you become your own best coach because we can't. If I could, I wouldn't have a coach either. Like if I didn't have to pay for a coach and have all that, fuck yeah, I would, right? Because my brain's like, you don't need a coach. (laughs) You don't need to start. You know what to do. God damn, you're a former Navy SEAL. You should be able to do anything. Ah." And it's like that's part of my brain screaming that. And then the prefrontal course is like, calm down. Take a breath you don't have it all figured out. Nobody does have another viewpoint so that you can see your blind spots. So you can hold up the mm-hmm. mirror and say, this is what you said you wanted. Here are the actions you took. This is the result that you created. What's next? And so, yeah. so for my clients, a lot of times I'll say, Hey, some days I'm going to give you a hug. Other days I'm going to punch you in the throat. And everybody deserves to have somebody like that, right? I'm not your friend. I'm here to help you create results. Because a lot of us want to, and it appeals to different parts of our brain, right? A lot of people just like, um, where they say, everybody wants accountability until they get it, Mm. right? And then it's like, oh, that's not as fun as I thought it would be, right? It's like, oh, I want it. (laughs) But now I'm being held accountable. It's like, that's not as fun. It's like, let's grow up. Let's use this prefrontal cortex, right? Because it's that part of our brain we're always battling against. And it's very seductive. And it's really appealing because it will talk you out or talk you into a lot of things that don't serve you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I want to talk about the coaching. So whenever we talk about online coaching, um, I did not, I've never heard of this up until like, I don't know, maybe five years ago. So what exactly is coaching and why do, why do I need it?
1: Yeah. So coaching and there's lots of different types of coaching. Lot, you know, I've, I've had the great fortune to be able to uh, coach a lot of different types of people. right? So for me, it's like, just give me somebody that has a growth mindset, like Carol Dweck. There's a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. Give me somebody mm-hmm. that wants to learn, wants to grow, and we can go anywhere. right? So I've had the great fortune to be able to coach people in some of the largest financial institutions in the world. I got to work with the Philadelphia Flyers and work with their team. Nice. Uh, the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. I work with veterans with PTSD that come back from combat that have done and seen things that are very difficult. At the end of the day, they're all people that want to become better versions of themselves and they have to overcome themselves. And a great coach is simply going to ask a lot of really powerful questions that create awareness for the client, right? I come with a lot of questions more than answers. My job's not to tell people what to do. My job, because you have all the answers in you. You know what to do, right? Consultants can tell you what you should do like in a business. A great coach is simply going to reflect how you are and how you're being and ask questions to allow you to self-realize. It's like, do I want to keep doing that? Am I really stuck? Is this me? And it's because you have, ideally a great coach is going to show you that you're so powerful. You have everything you need in you it just reaches you in a way that you may not have been able to see before, right? Holding up the mirror so you can see that power. It's like going through Hellwake when you see, wow, I'm capable of so much more than I thought I was. A great coach is simply going to ask and hold space to gives you permission to go deep, go into those uncomfortable spots, right? Because most most coaching sessions, they can go really deep. So if you're talking to a buddy and it's like, oh, I'm having this struggle it's a skill set. Coaching is a skill set. right? So now I, I take my craft of coaching the same way I took it as a SEAL. Like I want to be world-class because a world-class coach can absolutely transform somebody's life. If I can ask the right question at the right time for the right reason, I can absolutely change the course of somebody's life. And I believe that. And that's what gets me out of bed every morning, up early going, somebody's depending on me to do that with them to ask the right questions at the right time for the right reason to see that they have some contribution to making the world today as opposed to putting it off a month from now a year from now or just feeling like they're kind of just letting life take them either way they get to be right so a great coach is simply going to be there for that person one to keep them uncomfortable in a way that grows mm. them in a purposeful direction right so as a coach my my big thing and there's are so many different types of coaches out there. So people should look around and say, what type of coach do I want? What kind of coach do I need? What exactly is the result I'm looking for? Right. So if people have goals, like I love working with people that have goals, especially people that are stuck. It's like, oh, I've got this goal. I've got this thing that's like outrageous in my head. And then I have a tendency to pull back. Oh, I'd love yeah. to do this, but it's like... Then my brain's like, well, let's just stay, oh, you've got good things going on. Life is good. Let's not do too much. And it's like, okay, how's that How's that working out for you so far, right? So it's like I take people that have good lives that aren't afraid or that are afraid. I don't care. Let's go and make it great. Whatever that is for them. Like I'm going to seek out what that most meaningful and purposeful part of their life is. And then we're going to run shoulder to shoulder to make that happen. I think everybody deserves to have somebody like that in their life,
0: right? It's I, I I think a lot of people need that just real quick because everybody's isolated. Everybody's isolated, and I listen. I'm not here to judge you personally, but I would imagine that if you went through SEAL training and you were by yourself, there was no instructor, there was nothing else, you just had stuff on an iPad, run two miles, do this, do that, do that. I bet your performance would be much worse than if you had your brothers and sisters next to you. You had people oh, pushing yeah. you. You had I would have quit
1: long before the first phase was done, right? Because it's like, oh, yeah, who's crazy that does this stuff? Because half the time we're looking at each other and we're just laughing and we're crying and we're just like, oh, I can't believe we're doing this. And you look over your buddy and he's just as miserable. It's like, all right, let's just keep going. All right, let's go. Let's and you're it. just like slobbering. <laughs> you got snot coming out of your nose. You can't see anything. You're just laughing at each other. It's like, okay, this is crazy. All right, let's keep going. Because you know, the person on the left and your right doing the same, everybody's stretching to become better. If it was just me out there, I'd go, okay, this is just torture and this is, somebody's going to get hurt, you know, or whatever, yeah. like my rational yeah. brain would take over going, okay, this this is, this is stupid, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah it, exactly. And I, I think that's what a life coach can really do, man. That's, And I think people need that even if they don't realize they need that. And by the way, I'm one of those people. Listen, I'm I'm the loner of all loners. I hate people. But my best has always come out whenever I've been in a team setting or I've had other people around me pushing me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm an introvert. I get my energy by being alone and like I I had no problem like just walking by people that I know on the street and not saying anything. To me, that's normal, right? Other people are like, hey, Rich. And it's like, oh, okay. I'm like, I didn't like going to parties. It's not my thing. But this is bigger than me, right? So this is like, this is my calling. And like you said, with all this technology, it's awesome, but it's also very isolating or can be unless we choose to have something different and our brain wants us to stay safe and stay comfortable. So reaching out for help, reaching out for coaching that takes courage, right? It's like, Oh, but man, I, I have these dreams, but what if he, what if he actually makes me start going for it? What if I actually have to start (laughs) doing the work and it's like, I can't make you do anything. You're going to choose to do it. I simply help reflect what we know we want to do, but that's what we need. We need somebody in those, difficult times, those dark moments that's right there in that right time, just to keep that momentum going. Otherwise, it just becomes, oh, that thing I wanted to do, but life got in the way and I kind of let it go. And then I'm off to other things. It's like how many times we have that if we just had that, that right opportunity to have that person with us, that teammate with us to get us through those difficult times, what we'd be capable of.
0: Dude, it sounds like you are really big on this go for it thing. Like like this, you hear a lot like, hey, you have the cushy corporate job, but you want to be a comic book writer. Fucking go for it. It sounds like you're really big on this. Is that kind of how you approach your life and how you kind of coach your clients?
1: Absolutely. In a way that respects what they're currently doing, right? So it's not like, hey, I just quit my job and I just go for it. Like, okay, I've got a mortgage, I've got kids, I've got a career. Yeah, I've got kids. Yeah, Yeah. so it's like, (laughs) how do we do it in in a way that honors the commitments that we currently have for the life that we want? And we figure out how to make that happen, right? Because it doesn't serve anybody just to cut ties and just pretend like, oh, I didn't have that life before, it's like, and as a coach, I would coach them into like, what do you want? Okay. And what mm. are you willing to commit to? Are you willing to let go of X, Y, and Z so you can have A, B, and C? Right. Yeah. So there's a process to it because I, I don't yeah. condone like people just going, Hey, I'm just going to quit. My, maybe, maybe not. Right. It's very personal. And I would, and I always put it on the person because for me as a coach, it would never be up to me to make that choice anyway. I would simply ask a series of questions. So when the person does decide, they're like hundred percent. This is what I'm doing. This is what I want to do. And they go, "Let's yeah. go."
0: That, that makes sense. I want to talk real quick about what you're talking about with the seal fit. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know everything about it, but I. I want to kind of echo my needs or my previous needs as a person in a rut. Whenever I get in a rut a bad rut, a destructive uh, cycle, you could call it, that goes usually for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, to yes. a couple of months. months. Yes. What I seek out, what I really want, and this doesn't exist, by the way, as far as I know, and it's really baffling. I, I think if I had money, this is what I would do with my money because I think it would help people. I want, as a person in a rut, to go to some place that has structure um, where I cannot... Do things that are harmful. I can't, I have to eat healthy. I can't play on my phone all day. I have to, I'm, I'm essentially forced to be disciplined and a structured environment helps, such as maybe, maybe the military does that to a certain extent for some people. Um, this doesn't exist, by the way. Um, I, I've talked to people, they say, oh, that's what rehab is. No, not really. Um, is this kind of what seal fit is, or do you? Would you be interested in starting this? Like, I, I think a uh, people people just need a little bit of structure to get out of the rut, and then they can, you know, set them free and fly.
1: It's an interesting way to look at things. So when Sealfish first started, Mark Devine started, and he had a thirty day camp. That's in- perfect. And so he'd have these candidates, he was training people going to a special forces pipeline, right? So for okay. 30 days, it was just like that. You wake up in the morning, you train, you're learning the big four skills of mental toughness, all these things. And then the, the final crucible, the graduation was a 48-hour, you know, hell week indoctrination was like our Kokoro camp. And so that's what he did. It kind of went away over time. It's just, there's a lot of logistics involved and we went a different direction with it. But that's what he started with, right? Having this like monastery of just training, right? And so I'd invite you to take a look at your current environment and just asking yourself like, what if I didn't need to go somewhere? What if I had the ability just to turn off my phone for two hours a day? Mm. How hard is that? What if I just deleted my social media apps and so I had to log in every time I wanted to take a look at them, right? So maybe it's that momentum play. It'd be great if we could... It's like, uh, what was that? That uh, biggest loser, right? So these people, they can see if you get in that environment, you can create incredible results. But what happened to most of them when you take them out of the environment? Gain it back. Gain it back, right? So what's more powerful? So we can start to, wait, the environment does matter where we live who we connect with what we have in our environment matters right so if you want to become more disciplined some of the easiest things to do are remove the things that create a lack of discipline mm-hmm. so if it's the easy ones like the social media oh, rich i find myself an hour a day on social media cool delete the apps easy day Whoa, uh, yep. do you want to get rid of the hour a day cool Hey, I watch too much TV. All right, get rid of your TV. Oh, I eat too much junk food. Why would you have junk food in your house? Yeah. Right? I'm the same way. Believe me. I, it, it's not like I'm, oh, up on top of the mountain or anything. <laughs> I do the same things. I I I create and I remove as much of those temptations as I can, right? It's not rocket science, but it, you have to overcome that urge because it, as soon as you start to do that, what's going to pop up? That voice in your head, like, oh, well, what if my family's trying to get a hold of me on Facebook? What mm. if, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm in the business and I have to post and you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like da, 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 da. it's like, okay, who's winning this battle? Is it your self that has this meaningful and purposeful vision of what you're creating? Or is it this part of your brain going, Oh, don't get rid of that? Cause what if your friends come over and you don't have any chips for them? Or you know, just listen to that voice, oh, there it is okay, there's my, my, my buddy right there. Thank you for sharing. Here's what we're doing. Yeah. Because you're always going to have that. But if you go into an environment that just strips it all out and you're just good because you're forced to be there, are you really learning the skills? Maybe, maybe you're getting the momentum to be able to apply that when you get home, but there may be a way to do that now, instead of having to wait to go to that environment. That's just, I think that's it. That's an excuse.
0: that, that, that is a good point. That, that's actually a great rebuttal. Um, and I think something that you say is pivotal, and I, I don't do it all the time. I think a lot of people don't do it, which is to start slow. I know, uh, for example, you'll be, be in a rut and I'll I'll wake up the next day, I'll say, you know what? I'm not doing social media at all today, at all. So I go from whatever, 10 hours a day of social media to, to zero, and then it's like 2 p.m., And I haven't touched social media, which is actually a great starting point. And at 3 p.m., I'm like, ah, I'm going to open up that social media. And so now the whole day feels fucked, right? So now I'm, I'm a complete failure. So I think that is an extremely important point that you have is that, hey, maybe if you do social media 10 hours a day, maybe try to do it eight hours tomorrow or just nine hours or to start slow, man. That's so, so important. I hope people hear that.
1: Yeah, you, you want to feel like you have that momentum going and it's that all or nothing mentality has a tendency to uh, blow up on us as well, right? Where you get burned out and think about the long term. It's like, yeah, if you've been doing something for four years, and all of a sudden it's like, I'm stopping right here. It can work, you know, but those may be the outliers. For most of us, it's let's start weaning ourselves off of it and then maybe substituting it for something more beneficial, Right. So mm. instead of social media, now you're like, OK, instead of that time, I'm start reading a book or instead mm. of that time, I'm going to start going for a walk. I'm going to I'm going to use that time and I'm going to transition it into something that's more meaningful to me, something that's more beneficial to me. Right. Because you feel deprived. Right? You've got and you can get into the brain science of it and all those dopamine hits you get on social media. Right. There's really good science to see here why do we like it? Cause our brain is hardwired to love the, you know, it's like a slot machine, right? It's kind of like, uh, you, you get these, these, these hits of not knowing what's going to be next and, or what's yeah, going to, you know, exactly. and it's like our brains are hardwired to like that stuff. Right. So you're not wrong for going, Oh, I shouldn't like this, but I do want to do it. it's like, yeah, that's, you're overriding that part of your brain that wants to be like that. that same part of your brain that wants to eat Twinkies and donuts and, you know whatever that vice is for you,
0: exactly, man, exactly. Um, well, Rich, I thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, I, I think co- um, tomorrow I'm going to go order a shirt, and it's going to say, "I would rather die than ring that bell." That is, there you go. The, that's the quote of the day. Fucking fantastic! Where can people find you?
1: Yeah, so you can find me at uvucoaching.com. It's probably the best way you'd sign up and. Just connect with me. We'll do a, a call together and get to know each other a little bit, bit better and see if we're a good fit for working together. So, I think that's a great way to go. Co- I'm on Instagram and Facebook. You can find me there. But uvucoaching.com is probably the best way to, to find me.
0: And, and that'll all be in the show notes. By the way, do oh, not stop you. making Facebook videos because I watch them and I, I get pumped up. So, please keep doing that. I love them. Um, all of that will be in the show notes. Rich, you're awesome. Thanks for coming. Appreciate it.